Today's training is about recognizing and challenging implicit bias. And before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's training, I want you guys to prepare yourselves with pen and paper, if you can. We're gonna have some time of reflection, uh, some note taking. I want you to jot down any questions that may be coming up for you. I want you to definitely uh, find some comfort, get your nourishment, get a, a nice cup of tea, coffee, whatever it is that you're drinking at this moment. And if you can, create a safe space, an open space for reflection, or for those who are in your home and your families around, ask them if they'd like to join in. Um, this content is for everyone. So I'm your host for today, Dominique Harrison. I am a curriculum developer with the DMH UCLA Prevention Center of Excellence. I am also a, a psychotherapist at a community mental health center in Culver City. I've done this training in person about five times and you guys are in luck. This is the first time I'm doing it in webinar. So, you know, um, bear with me. There is a lot of content, but I promise to be as clear and as specific as possible. If you guys have any questions, feel free to utilize the chat. We have a bit to get through today, um, but I look forward to just exploring these, this content with you guys. So we're going to talk and define implicit bias. We're going to talk about the personal and social impact of bias. And I cannot leave you without strategies to support how do we mitigate bias. And we'll jump into part two, which will be, we'll be making a transition from talking more specifically about implicit bias and talk about the isms. Today, I'm going to talk more specifically about racism and its connection to COVID-19. I think it would be a disservice if I didn't take a moment to really acknowledge what COVID-19, the COVID-19 pandemic has really made visible for those who have not really been keeping up with um, connection to structural racism. And I really wanna break down some of those really key terms for you guys, take a moment to talk about racial oppression, and again, definitely give you some strategies to support you in challenging racism. So to jump us into our part one, first question for you guys, how many blue pieces do you see in this puzzle? All right, we got some some quick answers already. We got 16, 15, 26. Okay, so a well-rounded bunch of numbers we see here. All righty. Um, so biggest thing there is I'm not actually going to tell you the answer because funny enough, I didn't count them myself because that's not really what's important. <laughs> what's important is how many of you guys actually saw that little um, stick figure in the, in the corner? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I love it. Oh, we got some, some people who had seen it. So yes, we got some yeses. Didn't notice. Sort of. Yep. Because it was kind of hard to see unless I highlighted it. Okay. No, no. Okay. So 
really important from there is that, um, and sometimes I usually use another video to represent this concept, but what I want you to take away is that when I ask you to do one thing, you're going to hone in on that one thing. And anything else that would distract you, you're going to, your mind is going to push it out of the way so you can focus in on that one question, which was how many blue pieces are in, how many blue puzzle pieces do you see? But if I asked you, how many of you guys saw the orange figure um, to the side of the picture in the first question, many of you might have like looked around, tried to see if you could find it, and then eventually probably would have found it. But remember, when we highlight one thing, when we're asked to do one thing, it's really hard to focus on anything else. And I want you to just be founded on that thought process because in order for us to build awareness, in order for us to be more foundationally sound in what our implicit biases mean, we have to go beyond that first question. We have to allow our minds to slow down we have to allow more things to come into the story. So our goals for today are to increase your awareness. I want everyone to know that everyone has implicit biases, right? So none of us are exempt. We all have it within us as young as three and four years old to as old as are elderly, like no one is exempt from bias. And I really want us to take the time to become more mindful of the conditions that influence our implicit biases. What leads us to think certain ways? What leads us to be more connected to biases as opposed to stopping and slowing down and connecting more to our core beliefs? So our learning objectives for part one are to understand and define bias. We're gonna discuss the personal and social impact of implicit bias, and we're gonna explore strategies that challenge implicit bias. So with any implicit bias training webinar that I run, it's important that we set group expectations. And what does that look like? We have to expect and accept a lack of closure. As many questions that I'm open to entertaining, I won't be able to answer them all. I, in my, um, even in my expertise, wouldn't be able to answer all the questions you have. So, but I'd encourage you to ask them anyway. Engage in self-reflection. I noted that um, if you could have a pen and paper handy, maybe um, a Microsoft Word document to really just put yourself in a position where you can reflect on some of the thoughts that we're going to discuss today. Be respectful, be mindful, be thoughtful, and be curious. Uh, ask the, the questions you didn't think you would have it, in to, have it in you to ask. And this is a brave space. And what that means, um, safe is overrated. Brave is what I'm looking for. Um, I'm inviting you to ask the questions you thought you never would ask to connect with people that you never thought you'd be have the opportunity to connect with, to really become more vulnerable or challenge yourself in a very unique way. So gotta talk about the impossibilities for today. If I had all of the days of this week, 
all of the weeks in this month, <laughs> all of this year, I could not, even though I really wish I could, <laughs> I could not eliminate inequality within your organization. But what we hope to do is to build your awareness on how inequality does look in your organization, right? So you can start to disrupt that. I truly wish I could discuss all the biases, but I can't. Um, but this is the start to your own learning around them, to your own um, investment to it. And I definitely will be providing you solutions, but not perfect ones. I'm imperfect, so I couldn't provide you with perfect solutions. But um, know that this is just the start to your learning. Um, if you see the strategies that we're, we've provided and you want to go deeper, there are resources that we will provide at the end of the presentation that can allow you to do so. So um, in the chat, if you guys would entertain this one question for, more, for me. What do you hope to get from this webinar today? Different perspectives. Love it. Greater awareness and strategies. We'll definitely provide some strategies. Increase in awareness. That is definitely the core of this understanding. More insight. Wow, I'm loving this, guys. Thank you for being brave and putting your responses in the chat. Understanding and self-awareness. Absolutely greater awareness of my biases and how I may keep myself from automatically acting on them. This is really amazing, amazing work, guys. Better understanding of the word bias. So it sounds like you guys are in alignment. Maybe you saw this before I even started. <laughs> Maybe you saw the presentation. Um, but I'm, I'm thankful that you guys are entertaining all the things that we're going to definitely get into today. So bear with me as we go through this content. So our illustrious part one, where we delve deep into our understanding of implicit bias. So how many instances of implicit bias did you encounter over the internet or media this past week? I got some people who were saying none, one to three times, four to six, seven times. And remember, no answer is a wrong answer. So I just want you to be mindful that Right now, before we begin our presentation, some of us are saying, oh, yeah, too many to count. I'm with you there. Um, seven plus, four to six times. So it's a well-rounded number. And so be mindful of the number you put. Be mindful of the letter you chose. And because we're going to have you revisit this question towards the end of the section. So get your pen and paper handy. And I want you guys to think. What is your definition of implicit bias? Now, I know someone said, I want to know what implicit bias means, and we definitely will give you that. Um, but what's your own learning? What's your own um, connection to the words implicit bias? So for me, um, I often connect it to the attitudes or stereotypes that affect our understanding, our actions, our behaviors, our decision making in an unconscious manner. So many of us talk about implicit bias as something that's internally um, a part of who we are, meaning it is cemented in our unconscious, our unconscious thought level. So our brains, right? But it also is in conjunction to society, our societal norms. So many of our implicit biases occur without awareness or our intentional control. What does that mean? Our unconscious thought, um, happens immediately. It happens 
because we need to keep ourselves safe. Um, we have certain experiences and opportunities and storylines from our families and the people we know stored in our brain. And in certain situations, we need to easily access that information. And again, like I said, in our goal, everyone has biases. So what should we know about implicit bias? Well, for one, it's pervasive, meaning it's all around us. It happens within our family systems. It happens within our work settings. It impacts us as we walk around our neighborhoods. It, it connects to us. It's rooted in our conversations, but it's highly malleable, meaning although it's connected to our unconscious level of thought, if we can just slow down and allow for our unconscious level of thought to be transferred to our conscious level or our core beliefs of thought, then we can actually change how our biases lead us to more negative outcomes. So again, it's unconscious, it's automatic, meaning it happens immediately. And for us, that automatic nature is tied to our fight, flight, and freeze, right? So we need to keep ourselves safe. We need to get ourselves out of a situation and our biases are connected to the experiences and the opportunities that we have had that have led to certain outcomes that continue to teach us what we need to do in those certain circumstances. But it has an exceptional real world effect on our behavior. And some of our behaviors may be positive, may be neutral, may be negative, but it's the negative ones that we have to become more aware of. And this is super key. It does not always align with our explicit beliefs. And I like to also say that our explicit beliefs are our core beliefs. So one core belief I might have is that I want a more equitable world. But given how I've been taught about what our American society stands for, what it's rooted in, what its historical backing is in, um, I have come up and have grown in a world that is um, not equitable. And so some of the things that I perceive um, or I see or um, my immediate thought process around these is that that can't happen, right? But my explicit beliefs will be in conflict with that. So we, in order for us to really get connected to our explicit beliefs, we have to slow down. We have to allow our unconscious level of thought to transition to the conscious level of thought, to our core beliefs. So we've talked a little bit about how it happens in the brain, but I wanna go more specific and in depth. So it happens through categorization. We can have the, we have the ability to associate different items, different images with, um, with the names of them, right? So even young kids can look at this grouping of, of animals and identify which ones are pets that they can see in their homes and which ones are animals that they can see out in the wilds, right? Definitely a four-year-old child would know that they couldn't have a giraffe in their home, right? And um, definitely know that they couldn't have any other wild animals in their home. The next step is pattern recognition, right? So through those associations, they are kept in a specific part of our brain where they are recognized by our brain. And when there is a situation where we find ourselves as unsafe, our brain will say, okay, let's go to our conscious level of thought, pick that, pick that experience, see if it aligns with what I'm seeing um, objectively. And then that'll lead me to a certain behavior, a certain action. So pattern recognition also looks like, well, we know how to associate different 
sounds for different animals, right? And I'm bear with me here. I'm I'm definitely keeping with the animal theme for um, how bias happens in the brain, but. Um, even a young child will know that a dog barks, right? Um, they will not easily confuse a dog's bark for a cat's meow, right? But here's the thing. Um, these are things that um, if, for example, um, pattern recognition can still kind of harm us. Um, so we know these things to be true, right? There are certain normative things things that happen, some certain normative practice that we relate on or we rely on to lead us to make decisions. But if those norms are negative, then these norms can actually lead us to make um, challenging decisions or support bad behaviors. And automatic thoughts. I've talked um, more distinctly about this in our definition, but this is how, what immediate thoughts come up and to maintain the <laughs> I love this uh, image, but for young children, right, their immediate thoughts when they see pets in the home is, oh my gosh, I want to hug it. I want to love on it. I want to squeeze it, right? So these are what um, automatic thoughts look like. Now, before we jump into the definition of stereotypes, jot down for me, what do you perceive as stereotypes? How would you define stereotypes? And I'll take about 10 seconds and we'll jump into the definition here. So one way to define stereotypes is the pictures in our heads, the impressions that reflect subjective perceptions but stand in for objective reality. So here's one way in which I put that. Imagine we, we have an object in our mist. Let's say I had the object was a dog, right? Let's say I'm a young child and it's the first time I've seen a dog. So whatever happens in that situation with that dog for the first time will create a story and a perception in my mind so that when I see a dog the next time, what I'm actually seeing is not the actual object, but the image plus the story, which is a subjective thing, right? Because whatever happened in that first initial reaction connects to the story that I create. So I love equations, so bear with me, you're gonna see a couple of them as uh, turning up, but stereotypes equal society norms plus pattern recognition. Hopefully you guys are um, seeing something that you've seen before, pattern recognition. So society norms plus pattern recognition. Society norms are something that has been established, right, by society as the normative story for an object, but is really an image, right? So not objective, but subjective. So um, I want to just take a moment to acknowledge some stereotypical images, right? And so normative, what does that mean? When we look at these images, um, a military individual, a ballet dancer, a police officer, many of us connect the norm of these roles to something similar to what you see here. Gender-wise, race-wise, age-wise, right? But in order for us to really challenge our stereotypes, we have to counter stereotype them with images that have been deemed not the norm. Um, counter stereotyping is actually one of the first premier ways in which we can challenge our implicit biases because 
what we're being asked to do with counter-stereotyping counter is inundate ourselves with images that are not the norm. Here you'll see a, a military person who is an Asian woman. You will see a Middle Eastern man who is a ballet dancer. And you will see a, a, a black man or a person of color who is a police officer. So best thing to start your own building of awareness, your own, like, I want to challenge my biases. I want to challenge what I'm thinking, my thought patterns, is to really start to look at images and to reconstruct your bias stories, reconstruct what you've believed as the norm and challenge it. So this is my favorite part. So <laughs> implicit biases is, our implicit bias is affected by stress. How many of us experience stress? All of us, all the time. And this is why it's so pervasive, right? Because it happens to the best of us. This is not a moral conversation. This is literally a human to human conversation. Many of us are experiencing stress right at this moment as you're watching this presentation, right? Many of us are on a time pressure. I wonder how many of you had just jumped off another Zoom call and jumped into this one and are trying to navigate how you're going to jump into another one, right? Multitasking. When you have too many things to do, too many things in front of you, you're often going to be making mistakes. You're often going to Try to rely on your unconscious level of thought, which happens rapidly, right? Like I said, it, it, you can be connected immediately to your unconscious level of thought by just, you know, sitting and acknowledging and doing things fast. But when you slow down, you can really challenge this. Unfamiliarity, right? This is a key one, ambiguous information. How many of us have, <laughs> have gotten um, an assignment and the information was so unclear and we were like, okay, so let me see if there's something that I've done that's similar to this and maybe that can serve me in completing this and getting um, the outcome that it needs. But a lot of the times we are led down a biased path. Now, I got to keep you honest on this. Implicit bias is not affected by our good intentions. And we're going to actually talk about intention versus impact today. So bear with me. Um, good intentions don't mean anything when it comes to implicit bias, right? So as much as we like to tell people like, I'm good intention, I'm a good person. This is not, this is not about morality. Telling someone to work on their bias. Um, this is quite funny, right? Like, you're not sitting in a space and, and building relationships by saying, hey, you know what? You might want to rethink about how you say things or how you do things. You need to do your own work first and create a good relationship that you can be vulnerable with that person. You want to, <laughs> uh, implicit bias is not affected by avoiding people from other groups. Just because you want to mitigate mistakes doesn't mean you have to completely remove yourself from people that are different than you. You need to actually put yourself more in these situations so you can, in fact, build the awareness by slowing down and listening actively and thinking you don't have bias. Remember, if I've said it once, I've said it probably 5,000 times, everyone has bias. And just to um, connect to this quote, this is something I really value. Um, Dr. Banaji is 
a really well-known social psychologist at Harvard. Um, she and her partner are known for their implicit association tests. Um, it's very well known. They have a great book called Blind Spot. And one of the quotes she 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 has that's really familiar and everyone and a lot of people connect to is even the most well-meaning person unwittingly allows unconscious thoughts and feelings to influence seemingly objective decisions even the most well-meaning person right we're going to really deconstruct that today unwittingly allows unconscious thoughts and feelings to influence seemingly objective decisions so I want to get us back to that original question about, you know, what implicit biases have I seen this week? After we've read through all that information, after you've bared with me, bared through my corny jokes about that, um, think back on the week again. Was there a change in how many instances of implicit bias you encountered? Now, just write letters for me, A, B, C, or D, and let's see what comes through. Ah, so we got some increasing, okay, increasing, not sure, increasing, okay, great. So here's what I want to connect. No question or no answer is um, right or wrong. This is not good or bad. I am just thankful that you guys are acknowledging your truths, right? Um, not sure is, is a good answer too, right? Because this is the start to awareness building. We're going to do that today. And not sure also means that you are slowing down and you're actually thinking, hey, did that number change? Did I have more instances of implicit bias that I encountered? For those who've said increased or decreased, the same is being said, right? You are taking a moment to realize, was the answer that I originally placed in the chat right? All right, so just some key takeaways. I'm not going to read these because you guys can see them on the screen, but just that how do we define bias? The importance of implicit bias and its pervasiveness, right? And not only is implicit bias connected to how our how we in society create and form stories, but it is formed in our brain, in our automatic thoughts, in our unconscious level of thinking, which actually, and I didn't, I didn't mention this, is the largest part of our thought process. Our core conscious level of thought is really about 7% of our thinking, whereas the unconscious level of thought is about 93%. So you see what we got ahead of us here? we have to put in a lot of work. We have to slow down so that we can allow that 93% of us operating in automatic and safety concerns and fight, flight, or freeze. We got to allow ourselves to make the transition to conscious level of thought so that we can make better decisions. All righty, guys. So let's talk about the personal and social impact of implicit bias. So um, intention versus impact is a conversation I often have with my, my colleagues, with my friends. It's something I truly, truly value because it's something that we contend with daily. So I want you guys to go with me on this visualization journey. If you're open to it, I'd, I'd invite you to close your eyes and just imagine with me, um, imagine you are in a park, obviously post COVID, because you would not be um, hanging with your friends at this point. Um, but imagine you're in a park post COVID uh, 
you guys have created a good spread, you know, got a good potluck going and it's, it's really lovely outside. You're sharing food, you're having your relationship building, you are um, having great conversation. And then imagine an ultimate Frisbee team comes into, <laughs> into this, this park. And you're all looking around, you're like, okay, should we move now? Let's just stay here. Let's see what happens. And, you know, they're playing their game. Let's see, let's say one of you guys gets up, goes to the bathroom. And as you're walking to the bathroom, the person who has the Frisbee in their hand literally runs towards you as if they're going to run through you and chucks the Frisbee right at your face. Okay, so at this point, you're bleeding, you're bleary eyed, you, you know, you're shaking your head, wondering what just happened. And when you eventually come to, you're like, hey, guy, wh wh what's up? Why did you do that? You, I'm pretty sure you, sure you saw me here. You saw me right here. And imagine that person says to you, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I, you know, like, you, you know, I was just trying to pass the Frisbee to my friend over there. You know, he's right behind you. Oh, man. Like, well, you know, well, I'm, my nose is bloody. Like, I'd, I'd appreciate it if you just, you know, be more mindful. Oh, come on. Seriously, it's not even that big of a deal. I said I'm sorry already. Like, it's not my fault that you actually got in the way of the Frisbee. End scene. <laughs> so I know that's pretty dramatic, but it happens in on a spectrum of different ways, right? Uh, when we overvalue what was intended, right? Without giving value to the person who was severely impacted by what your behavior led them or led happen. Um, so imagine someone just, you, you have a bloody nose and someone just says, but I didn't mean it, right? We take away all power from the person that's been hurt. We disregard the fact that they were hurt. We overvalue, um, we, we, we disvalue the, the victim. We give more power to the person who's doing the hurting. And this shows up in a multitude of ways. Consider microaggressions, consider micro insults and assaults, right? Um, many people think of microaggressions as just, you know, I'm giving you a compliment, right? But not understanding what's behind it, what's behind the wording, what's behind, what's happening, how it's impacting that person. So I actually want us to watch one of my favorite videos. It's um, that we show when I do this training and it's how micro microaggressions are like mosquito bites. So let's take a moment and watch this video. For people who still don't think that microaggressions are a problem. Oh, you're so well-spoken. Oh. Just imagine, instead of being a stupid comment, a microaggression is a mosquito bite. Ugh, it's a compliment. <laughs> Mosquito bites and their itch are one of nature's most annoying features. But if you're only bitten every once in a while... No, where are you really from? Uh, Cleveland? Sure, it's annoying, but it's not that big a deal. The problem is that some people get bitten by mosquitoes a lot more than other people. I mean, a lot more. Whether it's on a date... Oh, your English is so good. Excuse me? Going grocery shopping. You know, everything happens for a reason. I'm just buying apples. Commuting to work. So when are you gonna have a baby? Watching TV. We have to keep the Redskins name. It's part of our culture and history. Or just walking down the street with your partner. <gasps> I couldn't even tell you were gay. <sighs> 
Mosquitoes seem to pop up everywhere. Do you know John? Give me shopping advice. So I have share too. And getting bit by mosquitoes every goddamn day. Can I touch your hair? Multiple times a day. It's so pretty. Can I touch it? Please. Can I please? It's annoying. And makes you want to go ballistic on those mosquitoes, which seems like a huge overreaction to people who only get bit every once in a while. It's just a mosquito bite. Who cares? Just another angry black woman. Of course, beyond just being annoying, some mosquitoes carry truly threatening diseases that can mess up your life for years. Astrophysics? Hmm, maybe you should try less challenging, Major. Ow, my dreams. And other mosquitoes carry strains that can even kill you. It looked like he was up to trouble, okay? I felt threatened. So next time you think someone's overreacting, just remember, some people experience mosquito bites all the time. You're all so exotic, wow. And by mosquito bites, we mean microaggressions. So I'd ask you guys to just jot down a couple of things that came to mind after you saw that video, what you felt, um, what are some things that were newly realized for you? And I want to just share one thing that one brave soul, and I'll thank you, thank you so much for sharing that, provided is fatigue. Fatigue is a really amazing um, identifier there, characteristics, overwhelmed. I think um, microaggressions are often explained as like being, because it happens every day these insults that um, those who are, who lack certain privileges or who have less power experience. Um, many of us don't know what, what happened the day before with that person, what happened the hour before. And having these insults directed at you constantly is like being cut a thousand times. And then you wonder when someone has a major outburst, you think, what's wrong with them? But really the question is, what's been happening to them that has led them to react in certain way? Because something happened. So what are some impacts of microaggressions? So psychological trauma, othering, alienation, loss of dignity, physical harm, A, B, and C, or none of the above, the intention is more important. Microaggressions can lead to physical harm, right? It could actually lead to death. How we perceive someone, how we identify them as a certain, um, how do we put them in a, in, a, in a group as opposed to individuate them? We are creating a story of them that could lead to their psychological trauma, that could lead to alienation, absolutely leads to a loss of dignity and physical harm. So let's continue. I told you I'd have to give you some strategies, right? So we must start with thinking, why should we challenge implicit bias, right? What, what should we be doing? Why should we be doing this? And for one, it all comes down to what we all deserve. We all deserve respect. We all deserve compassion. We all deserve understanding or to be heard. We all deserve opportunity, equal opportunity, and we all deserve acceptance. So how do we do it? We question objectivity. And this is important and because, right, I had already mentioned that objectivity is often confused for subjectivity. And why do I say that? Because those that have been made 
ob objective have actually, for in some instances, really are subjective, but are given enough power and weight that they become an objective truth. So we question the, the things that we've thought of all our lives as objective, and we take a moment, we slow down, and we say, is this really the truth of this, of this thing? Should I actually wrestle with this thought process more? Could this actually be subjective? And what would it mean to be subjective? And we need to recognize stereotypes. Remember, stereotypes are built off of the attitudes of limited information, right? Limited, limited. And that limitation is often um, confined to community or organization leveled um, storylines, not individuals, right? So we have put a story on a community. So we need to be able to dis like just disentangle that community to the, to the set of its individuals and define the stories of those individuals. So what are some barriers to change? Um, I can imagine that many of us um, have thought about this many a time in our organizations, in our families, in our friend groups. So what are some of the barriers to mitigating bias? Absolutely lack of awareness, right? And that's one of my main goals. Hopefully I'm, I'm getting there is to um, help to build on our awareness to show ways that we can become more aware to slow down. Um, definitely fear. Definitely peer pressure, absolutely, right? Um, people don't wanna give up their power, absolutely. You guys are really giving some awesome answers. I also wanna just make, make us aware that we are actually physically wired to turn away from topics that activate certain emotions, right? Those hard, like challenging emotions that we don't wanna deal with every day, our brain is like, you don't have to. You can dwell in your unconscious. Remember, I'm here. <laughs> Remember the patterns that I've already created for you. Remember, I know exactly where they are in your brain. Just access them, right? So it's much easier for us to turn away from those things that activate those challenging emotions. And a lot of times we feel too small to make a grand impact. And I want to tell you right now, it starts with you. What does that mean to even start with you? It means starting with your own awareness, your awareness to slow down, to take, to take in certain matters with a grain of salt, to value the opinions of others, to actively listen. And I think there were some other thoughts that were coming up. Jumping to conclusions are often barriers, absolutely. Not recognizing change, amazing. Not all, acknowledging one's biases. Yes, yes, yes. You guys are a good bunch. It's been fun. Okay, so what strategies can we actually use? And I wish I had all day because I'd give you a thousand strategies, but um, we're just gonna dwell on two for um, this section. So we're gonna challenge silence and we're gonna speak up. And so I'd ask that you get your pen and paper ready because um, there are some really good takeaways from this. So how do we challenge silence? Well, for many of us, um, we have um, limits to our privilege, limits to our power, or even have privilege where others don't or power where others don't. And it's really using that power and that privilege to uh, come alongside those who are silenced, right? It's speaking up for those who are invisible. It's 
it's acknowledging when you see something immediately, not just when a, cri- when a crisis happens, okay? So what are some immediate things that we can do to challenge silence? Well, I'd ask that you reflect on a situation that elicits the most silence from you. Think about a time where you feel either unsafe to say something or like you're not equipped enough to say something to someone who you know or someone you don't know. Write down some of your reflections in your notepad or or a Word document. Think about this. I'm going to dwell on this slide for about a minute. Now, they don't have to be long. Um, It could just be a connection to an event that happens that you find yourself being the most silent. To give you an example of how this may happen for me, I'm open to being vulnerable. This is what we do as trainers, right? So the times where I find myself being most silent is when I don't feel equipped and um, or I feel that I am unsafe. Um, As a Black woman, I often feel that. And I think um, when I am in situations where I have to or I might have to step in, let's say there's an argument um, or I'm taking public transportation and and I see a really heated discussion, and I fear for someone who has less power in that in that discussion, I might want to step in. But it's hard for me because I know that I'm risking my my health, my mental capacity and everything. So we have to acknowledge what are our sticking points? Is it safety? What could happen? Or is it that we are tied to like, I've done this before and I gotten hurt and that prevents me. That's definitely something that could lead us to, um, to situations that um, lead us to be more silent. But if you feel comfortable, um, feel free to add in the chat. If not, um, rest on the example that I gave you. I think many of us might have actually experienced something, seen something where we're saying to ourselves, you know, I really should step up. I really should say something to that person. I really should protect that other person. And we choose not to. So I just ask that you reflect on that, connect to that. And here's our next, um, our next skill for the mitigating bias section. We need to speak up. So what does speak up looking, look like? We need to strategize. Consider the best way to educate um, others that we know <laughs> about bias and that may be leading to their negative behavior. Now, paraphrase, I know some colleagues who do this exceptionally well. Um, and really, it's just you hear a statement that someone says, you, you know, you see yourself cringe, and then you just turn that statement into a question and give them a chance to check in with themselves and say, wait, did I really say that? <laughs> Then you explore, right? Um, This is something I often do with um, my colleagues, with my friends. It's, I'm really, I'm a therapist, so I'm definitely, um, I wanna get to the heart of the feeling or the intent behind someone's negative implicit bias. I wanna have a conversation with them. I wanna see what comes up for them. I wanna acknowledge what comes up for me. And acting confused is just a very, uh, (laughs) it's a very uh, extensive form of paraphrasing, but you're just asking that these actions be explained. Keep it classy always. Model respect, guys. Um, model empathy. Don't do this out of malice. Be good intentioned with this. This is the only time I'm saying use be good intentioned because I know I already referenced that um, implicit biases are not infected with good intentions, but actually think with your heart. Keep it classy. 
Use humor. Oh, guys, if anything, using jokes to do this is great work. Um, and those who know how to use jokes, I commend you because this is this is how it can really come up and really support someone in their learning and process. Always create space for processing. So I want you to just like um, think about these five phrases <laughs> um, and kind of reflect on what comes up up for you as you read them. And we're going to, I'm gonna give you an example of how we might use speak up with two of those phrases. And so when we think about speaking up, we have to think about how do we speak up for ourselves and how do we speak up for others? But I wanna start with how do we be, speak up for ourselves? So imagine that those phrases were directed at you. They'll come up again in the next slide. So um, if you hadn't had a chance to write them down, you'll be able to write them down again. Reflect on how those phrases make you feel. What came up for you? Did you feel unhappy? Did you feel fearful? Did you feel afraid? Did you feel angry, rage? And pick a speak up strategy to address these statements. So again, I wanna highlight, reflect on how these phrases made you feel. I prefer to be friends with men. Women are too emotional and catty. Oh my goodness, I look so poor today. Wow, I wouldn't have ever guessed that Jamal would be a white man. Wow, your skin is so pale and beautiful. You have beautiful hair. It's a shame you have to hide it under a headscarf. So pick a, a speak up strategy and write about it. So, and I think the same could be said for how do we speak up for others? I want you to imagine these phrases that are directed at someone else and then consider the impact of these phrases on that person and then choose a pick up strategy that helps you to address those statements. So again, um, for those who didn't have a chance to, um, if I was too quick in that last one, um, take a moment to look at the, the, the statements again, the phrases again, and pick a strategy that feels most right to you um, or one that seems challenging and, and think of ways that you might be able to address these statements. But obviously I'm gonna give you an example because I can't give you strategies without giving you an example of how do you use them. So, you have beautiful hair. It's a shame you have to hide it under a headscarf. Okay, so how, how might one strategize to um, talk to someone about how that phrase made them feel? You might think about it first. You might say to yourself, I wonder why this person is so interested in analyzing me. Maybe they don't understand. Paraphrase. So, Again, paraphrasing is, allows you to turn that statement into a, a question. So you're saying that it's a shame that I cover my hair with a headscarf? And then you think, how do I explore with them? What do I say to help them explore? And then think of this next statement. I've heard, I prefer to be friends with men. Women are too emotional and catty. So if I were acting confused, I might say, wait, are you saying then that men don't have emotions? Or I might keep it classy and say, I'm sure you think that's a compliment, but maybe think it out first. And you can often use humor. Um, that's funny. I think out of, all my male, out of all my friends, my male friends are aware of their emotions and love cats. That's, I know that's corny you guys can come up with better ones. So I'm, I'm depending on you to do that. And you can process, you can always think, 
and, and validate your own thought processes around. So you might be feeling annoyed. So think about it. Take space for reflection. And then some other key takeaways. And I'm actually going to state this one because I didn't identify it as this when we talked about intent versus impact. But if the impact of a behavior, of an action, furthers the marginalization or oppression of those around us, then the intent does not matter. I know I've been saying that we have to value impact over intent, but when it comes to further marginalization or oppression of those around us, the intent doesn't matter at all. The impact is what's important. And microaggressions, I already talked about those, everyday slights that happen to you within minority groups every day, and two strategies that help us to challenge implicit bias are challenging silence and speak up. So our next section is part two. And this is where we jump into the isms, the things that lead us to have negative outcomes when it comes to our biases, our phobias, racism, sexism, for the purpose of this presentation and the nature of what's going on around us, I think it is a value that I talk about what um, COVID-19 and race, um, the conversation around COVID-19 and race and how it's impacting us. So we will create space for defining that storyline and really jumping into what this looks like. I'm definitely gonna uh, give you some strategies to challenge racism. And we're, we're gonna talk about and define racism and the four eyes of racial oppression. So learning objectives for us are pretty quick. <laughs> we're gonna define some common terms that are often confused for um, implicit bias. So we're gonna go real deep into those definitions. So if you can bring your, your pen and paper back into this section, we're gonna take some, some notes. And we're gonna explore some, some strategies that challenge racism. Again, if I had all the time in the world, I could not give you um, as many strategies that I would like, um, but we will get, we'll give you a couple to get you started. And then if you guys are anxious for some resources to start connecting to, we have a list of resources towards the end of our presentation. So let's jump right in. What is prejudice? What do you think is prejudice? What is it commonly confused with? Um, how would you define it? We got some brave souls entering in the chat, awesome. Prejudice is ignorance, it's race and background, okay. So it's good, we got some, we got some people who are um, brave and ooh, preconceived ideas about people that make people act differently towards them. Preconceived, yep. Definitely opinions, definitely based off of limited information, okay? Um, not based on reality. Amazing, guys. Thank you for being brave. Um, no question or no answer is incorrect. We are just going to fine-tune the definitions that you guys are bringing up here. So prejudice is an attitude based on limited information, often on, often on stereotypes. So Prejudicial messages are based off of limited storylines. Yes, they can be based off of our own experiences, um, the stories of our families, the um, information that mentors and colleagues pass to us, but they are, again, based off of limited information. 
So no one is free of prejudice, just like no one is free of implicit bias. And prejudice is usually, and not always, but not always linked, um, linked as negative. Awesome. So again, I told you guys, I love me some equations. So I have to, with these common terms, I have to leave you with some really great ways to think about how we define and how we take away the terms that we're going to be discussing. So prejudice, how do we define it? Prejudice is attitudes plus stereotypes. Now, if you remember how we define stereotypes in our first section, it was our societal norms plus pattern recognition. So all of these, be mindful, will build off of one another. So if you can, jot them down. And I'm looking forward to engaging in a conversation about how they all link together. So what is social and institutional power? So when we talk about the, the terms that are commonly confused for race and racism, or all the terms that exist in this system that allow for, for the, um, the misnomer of race or the, um, the lies of what race means or the structural racism that maintain, is maintained within, within our society is power and who has it and who doesn't. So, it's the ability to influence others and have access to resources. So certain number of people have influence and that certain number of people have access to certain resources. And this is also key. Um, those who have social and institutional power have the ability to define the reality for themselves and for others key here. So that means that that person has a certain level of privilege, a certain amount of power that allows them to define the reality for themselves and for others. Now, again, I told you I love me some, some equations. So social plus institutional power is defined as access plus influence. Access plus influence. What you have access to allows and what influence you have allows you to maintain that power. What is oppression? So oppression is, ex oppression is allowed to exist within these conditions. Well, for one, the oppressor group or those who have power, those who have an, an exorbitant amount of privilege, define everyone's reality, not just their own, but everyone's. The oppressed group internalizes the messages about them, whether negative or positive. They internalize that story that has been defined by the powered group, and then harassment and discrimination are institutionalized within the system of oppression. So how does oppression, how do we define it? It's power plus prejudice. Remember, I told you that these, um, these equations built off of each other. So um, oppression equals power plus prejudice. So what is a system? The system that we're talking about allows for oppression, prejudice, social and institutional power to be maintained by a select few. So a system is an established political or social order founded on a set of norms, methods, and principles. Established political or social order founded on a set of norms. You'll probably see that two words are highlighted there and they are very key in how we define our system. It's a step, an established program, right? It's built off of something. It's, it's made normative plus the norms. What is advantage? Advantage is a condition, position, or status that grants power to a select few, to the possessor 
to those who have um, the capacity to maintain it. Power, favor, and gain. So advantage is access plus power. You're seeing how all these equations are, are building off of one another. What is white supremacy? So we have to talk about white supremacy when we get closer and closer to defining race and racism. So it's the ideology that white people and their actions, ideas, thoughts, beliefs are superior to people of color and their actions, ideas, thoughts, and beliefs. So basically what that means is those who are in power um, for the, necess the necessity of white supremacy, it's um, we're talking about white people, um, those who are in power can dictate that their actions, ideas, thoughts, beliefs, um, behaviors, um, opportunities are better are superior to people of color in their actions, thoughts, ideas, beliefs, behaviors. And white supremacy is, is defined as institutional system plus advantage. Again, we're building off of the original, um, the previous common terms. So here we are, we're jumping into race, we're, we're connecting to this definition now, and you're gonna see how the previous terms help us to build into how we've defined race and racism will be next. So race is a construct, remember, a construct. Someone created it. A group of people who had power and privilege created the ideology of race, which reinforces the idea that white is superior and that black is inferior. Again, I want to note that race is not a biological concept, not biological. Race is not biological. And many of us probably need to be um, made aware of this as we hear constantly, I think there was a recent NPR um, conversation where um, a well-known um, doctor, also um, leader of a certain state, I won't say that state, but um, really connected um, Black individuals who've been contracting COVID to a certain receptor that they have. And he called institutional and structural racism as rhetoric. So I want to be mindful of that. We need to we need to challenge that thought process. We need to acknowledge that race is not a biological one. So race is social concept plus institutional concept. Remember, social concept plus institutional concept. And here we are, what is racism? Racism involves one group having the power to systematically discriminate through institutional policies and society practices. The power to systematically discriminate, right? So what does that mean? That one group who has the most power shapes the cultural beliefs and values that support those racist policies and practices. No matter if those racist policies are true or not, that one group shapes the cultural beliefs around it. That one group says it is true. That one group says it is false, right? And that one group also highlights how we need to value it in society. And that's really key and important that we have to take away. Racism is equal to race prejudice plus power. And if we could break this all down, right? If we could break, break down what race defined is defined as, what prejudice is defined as, what power defined as, we will see all of the ways in which those previous common terms build into our definition of racism. And I'm not gonna talk to this picture, but I just want it, just I want to give you the opportunity to read it and to reflect on what comes up for you as you look at this image. Okay. How many of you have 
actually ever heard of a racism bun cake. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was like weary. I was like, oh my gosh, has anyone, if anyone says yes, it's probably a colleague of mine because they know they've seen this presentation before. <laughs> but I was expecting everyone to say no. Okay, good. That is the answer I was expecting. Okay, so let's talk through this recipe then, shall we? Okay, so what do we need to create a racism bun cake? Well, for one thing, we need a batter, and that batter is what represents race prejudice plus power. What do we need to do with that batter? Well, we need to mold it. We need something to hold it, to construct it in so that we can have that bunt cake come out in that bunt shape, right? So what is that container? It is the realities of society. So we need to have race prejudice plus power be formed in the realities of society. What needs to happen next? Well, we... Well, we need an oven to cook it in, right? So what does that oven represent? Oh, it represents a catalyst and an environment in which these systems of advantage, oppression, and white supremacy are upheld, right? To allow that racism bond cake to be formed. And then what do we have? Well, would you look at that? Our very own racism bond cake. And it's literally what history cooked up. So I think for me, when I, why, when I acknowledge that, the importance of this is that we need certain elements of how, of those common terms that we just defined, right? We need certain, we need the batter of race, prejudice, and power. We need this colander or this, this bunt cake former, I don't remember, a, a 10, right? I can't remember the name of that, um, that object, but realities to be formed in with, within the realities of society to have the mold within the realities of society. We need that system to catalyze um, with this race prejudice plus power, right? The realities of society. We need to have people who are advantaged. We need to have people who are oppressed. We need to have that system be within a white supremacist system because without it, we don't have racism. And I think I want you guys to note this because all of these things are sustained by our system. And we need to challenge who has advantage. We need to um, give up our privilege when we can. We need to challenge who has power. We need to advocate for others who are, who are silenced, who have less, who are oppressed. Who, we need to challenge this ideology of white supremacy. Okay, so I know that was a lot. So take a breather, take a big breath, okay? We are going to, we're going to, talk about the four eyes of racial oppression. And some of you might know this. Um, it's definitely something you can find on the internet. So, um, but, um, and there's a number of other ways that we can talk about racism, but I'm gonna use the four eyes for us to give us this backing and background. Before we do that, I want you to consider some examples of racism. So I want you guys to choose all that apply. A. When you hear someone say, you people, well, it's you people. B, when you hear or see racial pro profiling. C, when you're choosing friends that only look like you. D, someone making fun of their own race. Would you consider these examples of racism? Choose all that apply for you. <laughs> I love it, A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D. <laughs> 
Yes. Um, and you guys will notice that they are also in line with, you will notice after I talk about the four eyes of racial oppression, how they align with these four um, examples. So let's jump right in. So the four eyes that I'm going to be talking about are ideological, institutional, interpersonal, and internalized. So I want you guys to really connect to these words, okay? And really take some, some time to reflect and, and jot down notes that come up for you, jot down questions that come up for you during this time. Ideological, what does ideological racism look like? It is how do we other people, and othering happens when we say the, that certain people are different from us and because of that difference, they are less than. So we push them out of this circle, right? Out of the circle of us and they are seen as them. So we have people who are within our group, in the in-group and those who are in the out-group who are not, not normal, not the norm, not the best, less than, not, not human, not great. And the story of this is um, definitely rampant in COVID, right? Um, because of how our his historical society has othered certain groups, Native Americans, Asian Americans, African Americans, we see how this ideological thought process maintains and is sustained. And we have institutional systems that keep it in place. We have our justice system, our policing practices, our education and housing development practices. And I just wanna connect to you guys um, when we talk about Native Americans and, and the COVID-19 crisis. So consider this, the majority of Native Americans are um, living in 10 of our 50 United States. And of those 10 states, only Two states have um, given us data, COVID-19 specific data, that talks to the deaths and the cases of those who are Native American and affected. And, and that's not even intensive because for those who are, the, the, the actual numbers that we're seeing is not broken down by tribe. So for one thing, institutional systems of oppression and racism allow for many individuals to be in, um, invisible. So the Native American community is invisible right now during COVID. We do not have enough information to understand how they are being impacted. And for the numbers we have, it's pretty um, tremendous, the percentage of individuals who are being impacted by by COVID. Let's take on uh, New Mexico, for example. Um, New Mexico has about 11% of Native Americans and 41% are impacted by COVID, either have died or have cases. That's a substantial number, 41%. And how does that continue? Institutionally, we haven't done the numbers. We haven't counted, right? We're not um, creating a space where our governments can get the proper numbers to identify who is Native American, who is from which tribe, who is dying. And how does this happen on an interpersonal level? How do we see interpersonal racism happening? Well, for one, for Asian Americans, um, on the website STOP that was um, created by a group of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders to count the number of threats and violent attacks that have been experienced. 
um, within a two week span of it being uploaded, the, the, um, the website, which was around March 19th or 18th, over um, close to 1200 events of physical violence and threats were accounted for. Imagine that. And that is what we talk about as, as, as personal mistreatment, right? Um, what we see as conscious and unconscious behaviors can connect to how Black and Latinx individuals can't walk without a mask without fear of retribution, without fear of being um, called out, without fear of being um, called on by the police or called um, the police having called on them. So be mindful of how our actions can actually result in interpersonal racism. And then think about how those activities and how those behaviors and how those thought processes lead to the internalization of that racism within those, um, those bodies of color, those persons of color. So those racial inequalities that have been, um, that have um, been drugged up that that have happened right that are connected to those communities are um, sustained in those in those the thought processes and the minds of people of color the stereotypes that we use right we see um, we see a black or a black individual wearing a, a mask we think of them as dangerous right they are a dangerous they person they are a criminal and that that story that message is internalized. And then we have the societal subjective truths. Remember, society's truths have to be challenged. They're not objective. We have to challenge. We have to break them down. And those societal truths become individual truths. They become internalized and they lead to individuals believing those negative, um, un, like those negative lies that have been told about them. So I know that was a lot. So take a deep breath. Um, I know that, that maybe you felt some feelings as I explained the different R's of a, oppression or the different, the, um, the four I's of oppression. So I want you to take a moment, reflect, jot down any thoughts that came up for you, any feelings, and really just take a moment to read over the key takeaways. I'm not going to read them because I think um, we've made some connection to them already. All right. So we are nearing the end, guys. So really, thank you so much for bearing with me, for taking the time to um, sit and be brave and hear the importance of implicit bias, hear how we need to challenge racism and, and start to do it and hear and also to hear what is is the impact of COVID-19 on on our persons of color and, and what's coming up and how do we become more aware of the ways our biases are leading us to the negative impact that actually might um, relate to racism, um, sexism, um, phobias. So let's talk about the strategies. So just as I had asked when I said um, implicit bias, why do we, how do we mitigate it? We need to ask, why should we challenge racism? Well, for one, and just like I talked about with implicit bias, um, we're going to connect that every person deserves individuation. What do I mean by that? It means that every individual has their own story. Yes, they connect to their culture. Yes, they connect to a certain community, but they are, they are an individual within that community that has an individual story. So honor that. Everyone deserves consideration, right? 
everyone deserves liberation. They deserve freedom. They deserve access to liberation and freedom. Everyone deserves power, right? Um, power should be shared. Everyone should have an opportunity to experience, to access, to act on power. And everyone's truths should be acknowledged. Everyone deserves to have their truth acknowledged. So how do we do it? Well, we strive for equity. We strive for health equity, educational equity. We strive for housing equity. We strive for job opportunity equity. We strive for our voices to be heard. And we learn how to expand our circle. So I always laugh about this one, but um, expanding our circle does not mean we just say, hey, let's find a really cool person of color to link up with, to be friends with. It means actually creating a relationship that is bound and founded on difference. Meaning you are taking it upon yourself to be vulnerable, to have challenging conversations, to honor everyone's individual story. So what are some of the strategies we can use? So I'm actually gonna take some time to unpack these two, but we are, we're gonna use perspective taking, which can also be used with implicit bias, but I'm gonna show you specifically how we can talk about it when it comes to um, racism. And we're gonna talk about racism and race. So sounds simple, right? I mean, definitely having conversations about race and racism may, um, sounds easy, but um, we're not having them enough. And this is why I need to acknowledge them. This is why we need to talk about it. So before we talk about race and racism, let's talk about our, the conversations around race and racism. Let's talk about perspective taking and how do we do that? Well, for one, I think you need to connect with our cultural identity. What are the ways in which we uh, define ourselves? Uh, I'm not gonna state all of these. You guys can read them from the slide, but no, this is just, this is not the exhausted list. This is just a number of ways that we can connect to what are our, some levels of our of identity. And some ways to um, think about perspective taking. And I'm actually gonna take, um, I'm not even gonna give you examples within ethnicity and race because we've been talking about that and I think you guys can imagine what some examples could be, but I wanna give you two examples that might not be traditional. So let's think about language, right? Um, let's think about your language. Imagine me, my first language is English, right? And I can always expect to have a store employee that I, um, that I have a question for to, to greet me in English, to answer my question in English. I can expect these things. I am privileged. I have um, an advantage that allows me to be able to communicate with others, to have them communicate back to me. And um, imagine those who don't have English as a first language, right? Um, across LA County, many of us um, in the Latinx community do not um, speak, who have parents or, or family members who speak English as a second language. So imagine what's happening there. And physical ability. Imagine if I had a physical disability where um, I was in a wheelchair. Um, having many buildings not equipped to with access ramps or working elevators or having narrow hallways or bumpy sidewalks, that 
prevents me from entering a certain space. That keeps me out of certain spaces. That disregards my story, disregards who I am as a person. So when we think about perspective taking, I want you to first consider one of your cultural identities, right? It could be any of the ones that I mentioned before or you saw on the page before. So age, um, it could be your race, it could be your religion, um, it could be your gender, it could be your socioeconomic status, your national origin. Um, consider any of those cultural identities, choose one for the purpose of um, this discussion, write down an example of how that cultural identity has led you to experience certain biases and or privileges because depending on the space that we sit in, some of the things that actually might lead to us being biased or experience bias against can actually in other situations um, lead to certain privileges that we have. And then I want you to share in the chat if you are comfortable. So remember, think back on those examples that I gave um, as an identifier on how you might think about this and then consider one of your cultural identities, write down an example. Yes, okay, so definitely age. Um, ooh, so someone gave a really great example of food insecurity and how I would tie that in is um, if I was being really broad, it would be socioeconomic status and what has led me to receive certain um, opportunities or has led to my experience of food insecurity or where I live. If it's a food desert, right? If I have, if it's an under-resourced community, that might lead to my food insecurity, right? So that might actually lead me to experience a bias. Um, yes. So thank you. Someone actually put in, um, what does it mean to be identified as of Latinx, right? Or, oh, but this is great, but not fluent in Spanish, right? Many individuals are often thought of as not being um, an actual member of their culture if they don't speak the language. And that in itself is a bias that is experienced by many of individuals who might be first, gener first gen or um, children of first generation immigrants who had parents who told them not to speak their first language in the home, right? Who made it mandatory that English be the only language that they speak. Amazing, so gender identity. Um, yes, there's so many things to be stated about when you don't have, um, when you're um, not of, you, you identify yourself as other, you identify yourself not as cis, but as trans. There are so many things that um, you come against, right? That, um, that challenge the way you live, that challenge the way you do, that the way you dwell in the world. Thank you so much guys for being, being brave. Okay. So let's talk about race and racism. Why is this so important, right? So um, I think it is important, even if you're making mistakes, because we're all gonna make mistakes to have these types of conversations. Talking about race and racism means you talk about events of when you've been made aware of your race, when you first learned that you are of a certain race, when individuals in your life had experienced racism, when you experienced racism, how it impacted you, how it impacted your community, you just need to start having these conversations. So what does that look like? I'm gonna ask that you guys take a moment to reflect on a recent story of when you were made aware of your 
aware of your rates. And I'll actually share a story with you so it can give you some context. I want you to write down your reflections in your notepad or your Word document. Okay, so about, about a week and a half ago, I had ordered a delivery. Let's say it was a food delivery. And I was getting constant updates about it. Um, it's being on its way, right? So I got an email that it said, oh, your delivery, um, your, your order is out for delivery, right? And then I get a text message from the driver or um, from the driving app, whatever it is, right? It says, um, we're en route. And then I get a call from the actual driver that says, uh, would you like me to place your delivery on your doorstep? And I'm like, of course, yeah, um, drop it off, right? So I take about a minute and then I open my door and see that the, the package isn't there. So I'm like, hmm, maybe I need to look around my house a little bit. Let's see outside if they put it somewhere different. And I still don't see it. I'm like, well, maybe they got the number mixed up. So I kind of go for a quick little walk around my street, don't see it. So come back inside. I'm like, all right, if I'm going to take a more exhaustive walk, I need to put on my mask because there might be a lot of people out given the time. But putting on a mask as a black woman leads to me putting myself in a situation where others can perceive me as unsafe. So I acknowledge that that thought. And I also acknowledge that um, there are decisions that I need to make that will prevent me, that, that will keep me safe. So what do I do? I am walking around my neighborhood looking for this package, right? And I know that as a black woman who's wearing a mask, I can just be a black figure, right? So I cannot walk close to a door. I cannot walk close to a car. Can't walk on a sidewalk. I have to walk literally in the middle of the street because I can actually be perceived as unsafe, as um, dangerous, as weird, right? Uh, I imagine that people could write notes on um, their like, their apps or something that says like, there's a suspicious person walking around my neighborhood. Mind you, I walk around my neighborhood all the time, right? Um, so I'd imagine that many people in my neighborhood community would recognize me as the girl who always walks. But to walk for a certain amount of time, um, my, many people might think of me as canvassing, right? Or being suspicious. So be, that's one story for me that makes me aware of my race. Um, so if anyone has any ideas, feel free to chat the, um, to write them down in the chat. Thank you for that. Thank you for that comment. Um, yeah, it's it's hard, right? We we have to make decisions in order to keep ourselves safe, and sometimes that prevents us from living our lives in the ways that others can. Yeah, and it's 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 crazy what happens when we don't have the conversations about race that need to be had. People make assumptions, and I think that that's the foundation of implicit bias. It's these assumptions that we connect to as truth. So we have to be honoring of, of those assumptions. We need to challenge them. We need to honor them by challenging them, and we need to say, okay, let's take a moment to unpack why I thought that that was truth. So... Guys, can, if you can imagine it, we're actually at the end of our presentation. Um, but I want you to just um, connect to these key takeaways, right? So just how we talked about what every person deserves in um, the implicit bias section. Remember, every person deserves when it comes to um, the need for us to challenge racism. Every person deserves to be treated with individuation, consideration, liberation, power, and truth. 
all right? Um, we need to lead change by striving for equity and we need to be open to our expanding our circle. And we also need to challenge racism by perspective taking and talking about race. Now, again, I'm not saying that these are the only ways that we need to challenge racism or the only ways we need to lead by change, uh, but these, are, these can be the start. Okay, so I love to leave people with resources. So um, please uh, take, take heart when I, when I give these resources out. Um, these are books, documentary, documentary series, podcasts, websites that I all enjoy. Um, the Harvard Implicit Association Test, you know, constantly being um, liked, disliked, right? But I think it's actually a good start for us who are um, not as aware of our biases to get more aware. Um, and, it, and they have a number of different tests. So I'd, I'd advise you to take that. And Who Me Biased is a really cool um, New York Times four-part series. It's just a group of videos that talks about how do we look at implicit bias? What do we do to create a space where we can um, learn more about our biases? Um, for those of you who haven't heard of the podcast 1619, it came out in 2019 in the fall, and it's a really good um, podcast that supports what we actually need to know about the start of slavery and all great books. All right, and I'm a quote person and who doesn't love James Baldwin. So I wanna leave you guys with this. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. So hear me when I say that. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. So all of us have the, capacity, individual, um, and collaborative efforts of, you know, us in a group to face certain things, right? If we get together, if we band together, if we challenge our biases, if we increase our awareness, we could really start to do, to, to make some damage, right, on, on, on the, the changes that we hope to see. But we need to face it first, right? We need to, we need to slow down our thought processes, right? Um, we need to allow for our thoughts to be uh, reconfigured from the unconscious level of thinking to conscious core beliefs that we really are tied to, right? The things that we um, walk in dignity with. Um, so again, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. So with that, I thank you. For those of you who are interested in getting in contact with me, feel free to do so. I am so open to having conversations, whether it's a virtual coffee, I'm, 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 I love those, I know I've had a couple of those now, or it's um, you just have an individual question about something very specific you want support on, I'm happy to just you know, have a quick call, an email to consult and to support you in that process.